Kinesis. Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen. Hello, I am Scott Allen, and thanks to my daughter Kate for developing the intro to the Practical Wisdom for Leaders podcast, where we offer a smart, fast-paced discussion on all things leadership. My guests help us explore timely topics and incorporate practical tips to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. If you haven't done so, please click subscribe so you automatically, seamlessly stay in the know when we publish new episodes. Likewise, please provide me with feedback. What do you like? What do you dislike? And what else would you like to know? And now, today's show. Today on the program, I have Ralph Gelati. And he is the director at the Rutgers Center for Organizational Leadership. We have never met, so you literally are, are, are listening in to our first time conversation. And, and Ralph, I, I'm excited. You've, you've written a book, uh, Crisis Leadership in Higher Education, Theory and Practice. So yes. we'll get to that, I'm sure. But maybe share a little bit about you and a little bit about your path to leadership education and that work. Sounds great. Uh, well, it's good to be with you, Scott, and nice to meet you officially. Yes. I mean, we have, um, I, I've learned about you through lots of contacts and mutual relationships, and to be able to connect is awesome. My, my career actually started at Villanova University. Nice. Um, I left Duquesne, where I did my undergrad in Pittsburgh, and um, actually, I grew up in a really big Italian family, and most of them still live in Pittsburgh, and, and I, I miss it deeply. And I learned a lot about leadership from them, and yeah. from the way I was raised as a first-generation college student and and just sort of the importance of family values um, when I left to go to Villanova it was um, it was a different experience for me being on the other side of the state yeah. and I learned a lot about independence and was doing a lot of work in undergraduate leadership education and co-curricular leadership programming um, really uh, really enjoyed my work at Villanova and started a PhD program at Rutgers while I was working full-time at Villanova I, I my interests really look at the intersection of leadership leadership and communication and crisis in the context of higher ed. So I knew I wanted to get a PhD in communication, but to explore leadership in in higher ed issues. Um, So Rutgers was a great place to be. I worked with Brent Rubin, who eventually um, hired me to work full-time in the center for organizational leadership at Rutgers. And um, where I work now as the director. And and Scott, it's, it's sort of like a dream job for me because uh-huh. I love my work with undergraduate leadership education and to be able to um, uh, elevate some of what I was doing there and, and, and translate it in the context of higher ed more broadly and working with faculty and staff leaders across the university has been amazing and a yeah. great learning experience. Uh, well, e- even as you're talking, so I'm going to go to Pittsburgh real quick. So I'm in Cleveland. Yes. And, but I grew up in Minneapolis. So I have had just wonderful experiences in Pittsburgh. Just had a perfect Saturday afternoon at PNC Park with oh. my son and, and his cousin. And just a perfect day. Such a beautiful place to be. Seen some That's wonderful cool. concerts in Pittsburgh, even within the last year. And we had the most wonderful New Year's Day at the Carnegie Science Center. So oh. when you speak of Pittsburgh, and then I'm going to get it wrong. Is it Pramanti Brothers? Or? Oh, Pramanti Brothers. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> you got to go and have that sandwich that is, you know, coleslaw, <laughs> French fries, and everything else in the sandwich, right? So love Pittsburgh. 
when I think of Villanova, I think it's the number one undergraduate business school, isn't it? And, and fabulous. They have a terrific business school. Yeah. Great university. And, yeah. and when I think of New Jersey, I think of the Jersey shore. I think yes. it's <laughs> city, New Jersey, where, where my wife and I spent a lot of time kind of in the beginning of our relationship because her family, they were all from Philly and they all had, they had a big house at the shore and, uh, we would go there every summer and just have a blast. And so those are a couple connection points. But I love the fact that, that you, I love integration and I love yes. people who are thinking about concepts through different lenses. So the communications, the leadership, and tell me about the crisis. How did you get yeah. interested in the crisis piece of it all? Well, to, to, to go back to this theme of integration, I, um, I was raised in a value-centered house, and I went to primarily Catholic university. I went to, through Catholic school my entire life, and then Catholic universities for my undergrad and master's, and you hear a lot about values, right? Yeah. That's something we talk a whole lot about in, in, in that system, in that sector, um, and when I left to work at Rutgers, um, a public, large state institution, values take on um, a, a prominent role here as well. Right, yeah. um, they might look a little bit different and and yep. and and um, sound a little bit different, but um, I learned a lot that that values matter. Right, understanding sort of what those principles are that guide you as a leader is super critical. When I was an undergrad at Duquesne, there was a, a campus shooting, which was really unprecedented for the university. And as the student body president, I saw a university come together in crisis. Wow. Wow. And that really fueled for me an interest in, in university life and university dynamics yeah. and really placed a spotlight for me intellectually on how leaders in higher education can rally others around a shared vision, how those values take on um, an elevated level of importance when yeah. the stakes are so high during times of crisis. And this was all pre-COVID, Scott. Yeah. So now to be thinking about these issues at a time where we're dealing across our society with a convergence of so many different crises, um, it raises a lot of questions. But I continue to take seriously the importance of being value-centered and responding to these, these really challenging circumstances. Yeah. Let's, let's dive into how you're thinking about this topic. And, and I guess we could enter wherever you feel comfortable entering. I mean, we could go into kind of COVID. We could go into maybe some of the, the, you know, the realities that you were thinking about pre-COVID. But how are you thinking about this topic now, given what you've written? Yeah. Um, so I guess I could start first with um, the, the origin of the book and sort of what I was studying in the book because yeah. it was written and published right before the pandemic. I, I had an interest in crisis leadership in higher ed, and it's very clear in my work in the center and working with leaders across the university that crisis management and crisis leadership um, are often placed on the back burner for leaders in higher education. We are often thrown into these roles with limited preparation and limited training, yep. um, yet are expected to manage and lead in high stakes situations, yeah. particularly crises. Um, so I, for the book, I, I did a content analysis of um, articles from Inside Higher Ed and the Chronicle of Higher Ed, just to see on the horizon what are the kinds of issues that are being elevated to the level of crisis in the, the trade publications? Okay. So I came up with this scheme of crises that were most relevant for colleges and universities because there wasn't one in the literature that I, that I found to be as relevant. Yeah. 
And then I spoke um, with leaders across higher ed. What I love about the podcast, Scott, is with each conversation you're having, important themes of leadership are coming out and there's so, like the synthesis across the different conversations is fascinating, right? <laughs> and as a qualitative researcher, when I was doing this for my dissertation and then for the book, yeah. um, just to hear some of these reoccurring themes and these patterns of, 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 of thought that were emerging from the dialogue was fascinating. And yeah. um, there were a couple of themes that were really important. Okay. One, crises are super complicated, yeah. but they're often perceived in different ways by different stakeholders. Yeah. So part of what makes the work of leadership in higher education so tricky is trying to deal with the competing interests and the competing priorities and to really um, disentangle the crisis from the non-crisis. Uh, but there's subjectivity involved in that, right? Yeah. So how do you know what's going to bubble up to something at the level of crisis? Um, another interesting theme was the challenging role of social media. Uh, yes, it allows leaders to get messages out there in a quicker and more agile way. But so many of the leaders with whom I spoke discussed the challenges of trying to get their hands around issues that were bubbling up in and through social media. Yeah. Um, and I think the third theme that really emerged as being especially relevant from the book was um, the distinction between crisis management and crisis leadership. So much of the crisis management writing and scholarship focuses on how you can use communication as a tool to try to get yourself out of the crisis, how yeah. to preserve the reputation of the institution, all super important and very critical. Yeah. Um, but at value-centered organizations, and in higher education in particular, when crises strike, there is a need and an urgency to let those values guide how you respond to the crisis. Wow. And communication is not just a tool to get you out of the crisis, but it actually becomes a way of being through how you engage with others, how you take care of the people with whom you work, how you show compassion, how you demonstrate clarity, and how you respond in an agile way to the challenges at hand. So is it almost like the values are flotation devices? Uh, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're there to, to kind of hold on to as the North Star or, or, you know, that, that, that will help guide some of our decision-making and all of the noise I imagine that's going on. Is that a, is that a way of describing it? I love it. Yeah. I, I often use the word anchor for yeah. decision-making, right? Yeah. So the, 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 the life preservations, <laughs> the anchors, something to lean on yep. when the, the waves are so rocky and look at where we are right now. Those waves are so rocky. Yeah. And how do we know what to grasp onto? How do we know how to make sense of not just the pandemic, but the whole other host of, of situations that, that our country is wrestling with right now? Yeah. And, and um, it's easy to respond to these things in ways that are um, not completely connected to the values that we hold in common and to those that we cherish. But if we can um, take pride in those and to place a spotlight on those and to use those as an anchor for how we respond, I think not only will it serve the short-term interests well, but most certainly the long-term interests yeah. of our institutions. Well, I love that. I love, I love just even a, a leader with that as, you know, step one in their mindset, in their way of being that, okay, our values are front and center in this decision-making process and how do those help guide how we live our values, how we move forward, how we chart a path. 
what other what other things like that kind of did you come across? So I, I think a couple of important ideas, um, Scott. One, and this is really a management principle, but having um, response teams in place who can respond to any kinds of crises that your institution might deal with and so to make proactively, sure proactively we've done the prep work we've thought this through and there's a team ready i mean it's almost like i spoke with craig johnson he's like know your values and have done some of that work before yes. you get to the ethical challenge <laughs> just <laughs> a hint pre- you know this is the pre-crisis phase right we need yeah. to be mindful that this is going to happen it's inevitable yeah. right yeah and sadly, that's the case. But yeah, to have a, a team in place that's well-prepared, that's representative of different units, and that knows their role and their responsibility. One of the things that, that came out in the research was this idea of a counter-cultural need for agility. Huh. That in higher education, we sometimes are a little bit slow-moving. Change takes a lot of time. But when crises strike, we're held to the same standards for speed and accountability as any large organization, any large corporation. Um, And and so we need to have a mechanism in place to respond swiftly, but also to respond again in a way that's consistent and congruent with those values. And we call it countercultural in the book. And I think there's a lot to be proud of in terms of how higher ed, how higher ed has responded to this crisis of, you know, in March shifting in a remote setting so quickly, so with such agility. And yeah, there were a lot of kinks and lots of issues to be worked out, but a lot to be proud of in that response. Yeah. Um, And, and I think the other piece of this, Scott, as we think about leadership, when we look at leadership communication, and we look at crisis leadership, it's easy to sort of hone in on the messages that leaders, particularly formal leaders, are communicating during times of disruption. And that's an important dimension of leadership. But I like to think about leadership and in, in some of the writing that I've done with Brent uh, around leadership as a process and a yep. process of social influence, which has been written by so many different scholars. And when we look at leadership through a broader lens, and, and it's not just the messages, but it's the strategies and it's the yeah. structures and it's the processes that make social influence possible. Yep. And what does that mean for crisis? That we don't just focus on the messages that are sent during the time of crisis, but the history and the precedent that um, precedes any leadership communication endeavor. That's part of this leadership transaction. Would you say more about that? Yeah. Um, so I think... In the work that we're doing in the center, we're doing a lot of coaching and consultation with leaders across the university. And oftentimes, the focus for leaders is on how to respond to X, Y, or Z situation. And those are really important to understand when a crisis strikes, how might you respond in ways that can help the department or the school. Crisis leadership begins before the moment of crisis itself. So the ways in which you build trust with your team ahead Mm -hmm. of time, that shapes the the perception through which you'll be analyzed and evaluated when crises strike. There's a history that precedes you. And to build a reservoir of goodwill that you're able to draw on, especially when times are tough, is is not just a soft skill of leadership. It's an enduring skill of leadership. Oh, I I have to imagine that is... The, the, the social capital, the investment you've made in relationships within the team or within the, the larger community, right? That builds trust. And, that, and if those relationships don't exist for a leader, 
you're you're kind of hanging out there. Am I correct? I think it's really hard. And we have at Rutgers right now um, an amazing new president who who started July first, wow. um, and and it's been just from a, a leadership analysis point of view, fascinating to see the ways in which he and other leaders who just started in, in, in recent months um, form relationships in a mediated environment, often the case, and, um, and begin to, to cultivate some of that. Because if, if, if it doesn't exist, it makes those harder decisions even harder. Yeah. You see, you see it quite a bit that again, an, an individual gets so locked into the work and the tasks. And, and I think at times they, they don't remember that building those relationships and building that social capital, it's a, it's a, it's a glue. It's, it's a net. And if the time isn't invested there, it's going to be very, very difficult to rally a community and different factions of the community if you only know your executive leadership team and those are kind of the extent of your relationships, yes. that's just not solid footing in my opinion. No. And surrounding yourself with people who will be honest with you, yeah. especially in crises when that honesty can be hard to, to hear. What else are you thinking about right now? I mean, that's probably consuming. <laughs> that's probably all consuming. You know, what, what have, what has been your experience with, the book out there in the world right now during this time. Would you talk a little bit about that? I mean, I'm sure you've heard from some interesting corners of, of higher ed. I've had so many fascinating conversations. Yeah. And I wrote the book in a way that it would be applied, but that it also has some theoretical principles to help inform how we make sense of this. Um, And, and so I, I think what's been really interesting and challenging and hard over these last few months one, I've had so many conversations, Scott, with folks who are losing steam and mm-hmm. losing motivation and losing the joy in the work that they do because so much of the work that we're focused on right now is fundamentally different than what brought us into these roles in the first place. Yeah. And with little end in sight, it's hard to sustain that motivation. Yes. So I've had lots of conversations just in terms of leadership development with folks around how you sustain your own energy and resilience as leaders and how you can cultivate that in the teams that you work with as well. Um, the second thing that's been on my mind so much over the last couple of months is we talk a lot and hear a lot about reinvention. And I'm sure you're having conversations about that at at, at John Carroll and elsewhere. You know, what does the future of our institutions look like on the other side of this? And reinvention to me is, is exciting because it's a reset and, and sometimes crises can reveal what was broken yeah. And crises can expedite decision-making in ways that um, might not be customary. And, and that's sort of exciting, right? To yeah, think yeah. about what the future might have in store for our institutions. But it's scary. And there's a lot of fear. And we can't ignore the impact that this is having on people's lives and on people's jobs and just the financial uncertainty around reinvention. So one of the studies I just worked on was a a survey of department chairs across the Big Ten just to get a sense from them, leaders who are on the front lines of their academic departments who are in these liminal leadership roles, right? Like you have some influence, but often you're responding to and, and, and taking on responsibilities that are handed on to you from your faculty and from senior administration. So it's yeah. a really interesting and complex leadership role. 
but what does reinvention mean to them? And nearly in half, half are, are excited about the possibilities and half have fundamentally negative views of what reinvention might mean. Wow. Um, because uh, of the financial challenges, because of the uncertainty associated with it, and because of the fear of change and what that yeah. might mean to, to these traditions that we've, that we've um, developed. Yeah. I have to imagine mindset is such a is fundamental piece of this whole conversation. Imagine now, okay, the situation that those department chairs in is incredibly challenging. It's just difficult. But if the mindset is that other 50%, think of the damage that that can do, right? Think of, think of how that could hurt that department, that institution in the long run. Because I think you're exactly right. If, if you're viewing this as not an opportunity to thrive, shift, adjust, reimagine, it's almost accelerating some of the, the, the challenge. And does that make sense? It makes, it makes so much sense. And I think your conversation with Tony Middlebrooks a few weeks back or whenever you recorded it was yeah. so instructive for me because it really centered on mindset, but design principles and taking a user-centered view of this, right? Yeah. So for department chairs, I think there's so many important principles from that conversation you had that translate beautifully to this situation for department chairs who, yes, are, are and, and leaders across higher ed who are situated at the nexus of lots of different stakeholders yeah. and are trying to triage short-term issues, but also strategically explore future possibilities, that mindset and being able to place yourself in the shoes of the prospective students yes. and the alumni and the senior leaders yes. and your faculty and staff who each have different competing perceptions of what the department does or what the department focuses on. Um, that's a challenging intellectual exercise. Oh yeah. On top of your teaching and research responsibility <laughs> too, right? But, but if you have this growth orientation and you sort of are entrepreneurial and, and can think creatively around what that future might hold, what an exciting time. And when you look at the ways in which disciplines are structured right now, what an exciting time to be um, uh, paving the way for what a, a changed world might look like on the other side of this. Yeah. I, I had a student, a former student of mine, works in IT, was in, was in our MBA program. And right at the beginning of this, uh, of the shift to kind of stay at home and, and all of that, this was in March, I was doing a session for an organization on virtual leadership. So you can take some of the classic Blake and Mouton and, you know, tasks and relationships. And I was going to some of my students who had worked as virtual leaders for a period of time, just getting some of their thoughts and their advice. And this one student said, look, it's the same what, it's just a different how. Mm. It's, it's the same. It's the, so back to the values. Here's what we do. This is who we are. This is what we value. This is what we're trying to accomplish as an institution, whether it's Duquesne or Villanova or Rutgers or John Carroll or any institution. How we're achieving that now is shifting. It's different. But it's a beautiful question. How do yes. we maintain that what? How do we do this with excellence? How do we create? I said to a group of students this summer, I, I taught my first full online class. And I said, I want this to be the best class you ever take. Mm -hmm. That's my goal. Now, I know I won't hit that with all of you, but I want you to know 
that's my objective. Hmm. And because that's where my thinking had to be to try and provide a, a learning experience that was, was different and new. And, and I experimented and I learned and they provided me with feedback and I got a lot of really, really good feedback from the students about what, what energized them and what didn't energize them. Was your approach to that, Scott, different than how you would teach it in past semesters? It was. It was very different. It was very different. It was a different orientation to time. How, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not now necessarily, it's a, if it's an evening course, it's not two and a half hours of me, of me talking. Or it never really was that. Mm-hmm. But even if it is me talking, it might not. Be, it, it might be in face to face. Me talking a little bit, they go into discussion. Me talk a little bit, we watch a video. Me talking a little bit, we do an activity. So there was always this kind of, from a design perspective, again, yes. time moved by quickly for the, the learner. But we also got to some cool content. I haven't totally figured out that recipe online yet. So what I've done is I might add in a podcast. I might add in a smaller group meeting that's a little bit shorter, but very, very focused to 45 minutes. At least that's what I'm experimenting with. Mm -hmm. And, and again, the students are giving feedback and they are letting me know. So each week they kind of have a module that, you know, stuff to read, stuff to watch, maybe listen to, discuss, reflect on. Then we do some one-on-one meetings with them where I'm getting to know the students better than I ever knew many of my students face-to-face. Fascinating. So even if you treat the classroom as sort of a laboratory for leadership learning, you guys, you and the students are are co-constructing this learning experience together. And I think that translates so nicely to just leadership across sectors, right? What are the ways in which leaders and followers more broadly conceived are co-constructing these situations to create meaningful opportunities for engagement? Yeah. such as a, a classroom setting. Yeah. And, and I'm asking for feedback left and right. Now, am I always getting that feedback? No, not necessarily. But, you know, I have a midterm questionnaire that's like, hey, how are things going? What do you think? What do you like? What do you dislike? And of course, I say I, I might not be able to make all the changes you hope to see, but I, I'm looking for the themes and I want this to be an incredible experience for you. So help me, you're exactly right, co-create what this looks like. I yeah. want it to be challenging. It's going to be work, but I want you to finish this and say that was hard work, but I learned a ton in the process. And that's, uh, that's the goal, right? So but, Scott, that, well, let, so let me try to translate some of what you just shared there to what we're doing in our center right now, because we're having conversations in our center for organizational leadership with academic units across Rutgers who are um, facing similar questions. We yeah. know what our why is. We know why our, our organization exists, but our how is going to need to be transformed given this moment that we find ourselves in. Yeah. So what are some of the new strategic priorities that we need to focus on and what are the action plans that we need to develop that can help us to get there, right? So we're facilitating conversations across the university that are very purposeful, but so much of what you just said is um, so appropriate to what we're dealing with. One, having a learning orientation through all of this to figure out what's working and what's not working. Yeah. Quickly, right? Quickly, quickly, yeah. As quickly as possible. So that I felt like the recipe was somewhat in in place, face to face. And I kind of view the curriculum as a recipe in some ways. Mm. 
and some semesters it has it's been some white castle <laughs> some semesters <laughs> it's you know been a four star <laughs> experience but you know face to face i i thought i kind of had the recipe in place and and so now i'm trying to relearn that recipe online and in the digital space and what's too much what's not enough what's enough face-to-face -face time, what's not enough face-to-face -face time, especially when the students are used to and, and value, yes. at least at our institution, you know, we rarely have a class larger than 30. So you, yes. you do get to know the students, mm -hmm. build relationships. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a fascinating time for all of that. It really it is. is. What are but you I'm, hearing? What are you hearing from some of the conversations that you're having? Um, very similar to some of the thoughts that you were sharing there. Engagement is, is challenging, but critical. Yep. Um, and, and engagement will look different depending on the scope of the class or the scope of the, the leadership endeavor that people find themselves in. Um, lots of questions around sort of culture and the spirit of the department so for individuals who have been leading teams across the university or teaching classes, there's a spirit that we intend to cultivate, right? Yeah. And we've been, for some of us, working on this for years, and we're proud of that. How do you sustain that um, when the circumstances are so challenging, such as which we're dealing with now? Um, another theme is alignment. How do, we, how do we move forward in new interesting directions with our curriculum, with our programs, with our services, with, our, with the work that we do at our institution in ways that align with some bigger strategic vision yep. uh, and trying to make that alignment clear, especially when that future is so uncertain. Yeah. That's a, a challenging endeavor for so many. Um, and I guess the last one I'd, I'd share is great appreciation for the work that we do in leadership education and leadership yeah. development. We run a lot of different programs. I have an amazing uh, team that I work with in the center, and we're working on programs for mid-career faculty and staff, doctoral students who are looking to enhance their leadership development, medical students with similar goals, and faculty administrators from across our health system. Those are just some of the audiences that we engage with. And we were really worried what in March and April and over the summer, like, we are going to have to have these programs online. Will they still be meaningful? Yeah. Will there still be an interest? I mean, these are really busy people in normal circumstances. Yeah. And the response has been incredible. Um, perfect attendance, outstanding engagement, lots of enthusiasm to build networks across the university yep. and build communities of practice that are engaged in similar sorts of questions and areas of exploration and just appreciation, Scott, to take their minds off of the challenges of their normal yeah. nine to five or nine to nine or nine to 12 <laughs> kinds of roles, right? Um, yeah. But like to, to take time to focus on their own development is um, it, it's an unusual time to be doing that when we're in such disarray, but also such a, a beautiful time to be asking yeah. questions. Yeah. Well, my mind keeps going to, cause my mind doesn't always go here. <laughs> my mind can go to the, the struggle, the challenge, the, what we've lost and but I, I, I'm continually kind of going to, well, what's the opportunity in all of this? What, what is the, what's the upside? So for instance, tonight we have the global head of, of innovation from KPMG speaking at John Carroll. 
And this is a gentleman who's in Texas. A year ago, I never would have even thought, it wouldn't have even occurred to my head that we would you know, fly him up for an evening to talk for an hour to our students. And it wouldn't have occurred to me to do that by Zoom. Hmm. But in the space we're in now, uh, we, have, we have him for an hour this evening. And this is a person in a very, very important role. There's a totally new opportunity there that's been opened for our students to hear from someone, uh, the global head of innovation for KPMG, one of the big four, incredible learning opportunity. That's tremendous. So I think, I think part of this is us, there's a concept called conceptual blocks. They're rules that we have in our head about how things are and their cognitive biases and, and challenges that we have to overcome. But moving past those conceptual blocks, letting go of how things were and reimagining to your, to I think that some of the words you were using, reimagining what the future can look like. Cause there's some upsides to some of this. There really are. Right. There's, I, there's I am good. I completely agree, Scott. Yeah. I am a, a typically a really positive person. So yeah. when I was writing on crisis, people would sometimes look at me funny, like, why are you, why are you this, like, the most positive guy studying crisis? Uh, and I ended the crisis leadership book with a word of, of, um, of optimism that yes, it seems like higher ed is under siege and, and, and there's lots of challenges that are threatening our very existence. But look at all the good. We're still held as sort of standards for global higher education, right? There's so yeah. much to be proud of. Um, and that was before the pandemic, right? Yeah. And I think even now there's a great deal to be proud of. And this is a moment of awakening to, to really explore what matters to us to create opportunities for learning, such as the one you're creating for your students that may not have been possible yeah. in years past. Well, um, I wouldn't I, have thought I, of it, right? I wouldn't, right. Have, I wouldn't even have thought of it. Yeah. And I think, um, and also I've worked with a lot of different associations who are translating their conferences to virtual opportunities and huge financial challenges, of course, but um, enrollment at some of these virtual conferences is skyrocketing because it just becomes a lot easier to engage with than traveling across the country or globe to be there. Um, It's not to diminish the, the material and the emotional and the human impact that these crises have had, right? Those are real and important to acknowledge. And there are lots of issues regarding sort of access to higher education and and the disproportionate impact this is having with uh, across our society. And it's important to honor that. But I do think if we are mindful of that disproportionate impact, and if we are thinking creatively and going back to the mindset, Scott, with an eye towards innovation, and an yep. eye towards learning and an eye towards transformation. We can um, all learn together through this. We can heal together through this and yeah. we, can, we can come out of this stronger than we may have been and more unified than we may have been going into this. Yeah. And that's such a, that's such a incredible phrasing you just used. Learn together through this. I love that. I love that because you know, in many ways, that's what we need to do. Another quote from Tony's podcast that, that has resonated with, with my students because they listen to some of the podcasts is, I don't know better, I know different. Yes. And so if, that, if, if you kind of buy into that, then a learning together through this process is probably the best path, right? Mm-hmm. Because the they have incredible perspective, value, and 
they're an important part of this equation, their experience. If we go back to that user-centered design kind of notion, but learning together through this, I love that. I love that. And you would think that in institutions of higher education, that we would all share this commitment to learning together. And, and I think, um, it will be, and this is a challenge and a reality to to try to build support and rapport rapport across our institutions and to learn together. Um, hopefully, will be a shared value. Yeah, as we get yeah. through this. Um, Good stuff. I, no, fascinating. I got to tell you, Scott. One of the things yeah. that's been really interesting for me in listening to the conversations you've had. Yeah. I have a son and two daughter, two daughters, and you have oh, a son really? and two yep. daughters, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and my youngest was born. So first off, the conversations you've had with folks around um, gender and, and sort of leadership have been fascinating. And I have so much like you to learn on this topic, oh, yeah. especially in raising two, two young girls. But what's been really interesting is my daughter, my youngest was born on March 19th. Okay. So it's been a crazy six months, right? Yeah. And to think about what a moment for her to be born into this sort of chaos, but to go back to the upside of it all, to, to be home with her and to see yes. her grow every day in ways that I may have missed if I was driving, you know, an hour each way on, on yeah. a regular basis. So I, so um, when you said bo- born March 19th, born. like literally newborn, newborn, yeah. we, oh, were wow. in, we were, yes. we were in the hospital as they were setting up the, the COVID test drive-through testing site outside of the hospital watching the news of that was the day that the stock market just completely collapsed when I think the reality of this was becoming more clear and it it was scary and it continues to be scary but um, lots of blessings in the midst of this yep yep no you're exactly right it's a very complex time and I've been learning a lot as I've been having these conversations because as you mentioned, there's a lot of different areas in this topic to, of leadership to kind of be aware of or have a command of. But I have so much respect for what you're doing because that's another super important piece of this whole conversation. I, I love the notion of, are, are we prepared? It, it makes all the sense in the world. It's something I'd never thought of. Uh, do we have the team in place? Do people know their roles? And what are we going to do when it happens, right? when it happens, not if, but when, and, and hopefully it doesn't, but it, there's a possibility. And, and then when it happens, are we really clear on what we value, who we are, what we stand for? And, and are we behaving in a way that's consistent with that? And then on the post, on the post crisis side, and I don't, don't, we're not quite there yet. What did we learn from this and how will it inform how we approach future challenges. I mean, maybe not hopefully uh, another pandemic, but yeah. another set of challenges that our institutions will have to wrestle with. Yep. Hey, uh, real quick, lightning round. Lightning round, I'm ready. Yes, yeah, it's, it's an important part of the podcast. <laughs> uh, what are you watching? What are you streaming? What are you listening to? What's standing out for you right now that's keeping you going? It could just be something for fun. It could be something where you're doing some great learning in the process, or it could be both. Yeah. Um, uh, so of course, Phronesis and the Leadership Educator podcast are two, uh, two highlights of my morning runs. But I think I am trying to watch more television and trying to get away from some of the news for a moment. So lots yeah. of Netflix. My wife and I just finished The Politician, which was an amazing oh. series with Ben Platt, I think is 
Uh, okay, I haven't heard of it. It's good. Yeah, though, it was huh? really good. Yeah, we really enjoyed it. And, and some reading on the side. I just finished um, Contrarian Leadership, um, which was published in 2000, and it was fascinating. Really interesting. Really? Okay, Contrarian Leadership. I haven't heard of it. Stephen Sample. He uh, is the oh, yes. former, you, former president. president at USC, correct? Okay, interesting. Very cool. Yeah, he was there with Warren Bennis, probably. Yes. You probably mentioned Warren Bennis in the book, I imagine. Yes, yes. Oh, that's great. Cool. Hey, I am so excited to have future conversations with you. And Likewise, when, Scott. When we, are, when we are at ILA together, now we will know to bump into each other. And, and I just appreciate the work that you're doing. It's been a lot of fun. Thank I'm you so looking forward to it. Yeah, thank you, Scott. And good luck to all the, the listeners out there because this work um, was important before all these challenges. And my goodness, it, it, this punctuates it and it's going to be even more important moving forward. Yep, I couldn't agree more. Well, thank okay. you, Scott. Great, great connecting with you. Yep, take care. What a fun conversation. I have not spent a lot of time thinking about the space of leadership in crisis situations He said some things that really, really made sense. Ralph talked about how in values-centered organizations, uh, those values have to guide our decision-making. And I thought that it makes perfect sense, but I had just never thought of it that way. And then he also said something that was really, really very, very cool. He said, leadership through, when you look at leadership through a broader lens, it's not just the messages or the communication, but it's strategies and it's structures. It's the processes that make social influence possible. So in this instance, it seems to me a piece of this, yes, we're allowing our values to guide our way, but we also talked about the need to have a plan and for people to understand their role and for people to understand how things like social media will unfold. Because as the crisis unfolds, we need something to hold on to. And I loved, as we were talking a little bit about the crisis of COVID-19, higher education, and I actually named the episode after this quote. He said, with an eye towards innovation, an eye towards learning, and an eye towards transformation, we can all learn together through this. And through this, maybe we can come out stronger than we may have been and more unified than we may have been going into this. It's something I'm going to reflect on, and I hope you found this conversation beneficial. So much fun, such an interesting topic. Thank you so much, Ralph, for the work that you do. Take care, everybody. Have a wonderful day and be well. You have been listening to the Practical Wisdom for Leaders podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share it with others and let them know what we're up to. And one last quick reminder to click subscribe so you know when we publish new episodes. And of course, we'd love to hear your feedback. You can stay in touch with me by visiting www.scottjallen.net or any number of social media platforms. Be well, be safe, and make a difference wherever you are on this beautiful planet. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.